This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. Swing and a high fly ball. Right field and deep. Geyer to the wall. Rays win. Rays win. Rays win. D-Man Toy with a two-run walk-off home run. The Rays winning ways here at Tropicana Field continue. Coming up, we'll recap the action from this past week, take a look around Major League Baseball, and sit down for in-depth interviews with the biggest names in the game. On the lineup, he pitches. Adamas launches one way up into the air in the left field. This one's got a chance. Turning Benintendi, Willie Adamas. With his first big league hit, it's a home run against Chris Sale. Here's your host, Neil Solons. Welcome to our latest show on deck today. Tyler Glass now on his recovery. Mark Tompkin from Baltimore on All-Star Week. Eric Neander on what might be next. Rob Metzler on draft signings, plus AAA All-Star Jake Cronenworth and Kean Wong and much more. We continue on this week in race baseball, and our feature guest this week is Tyler Glassnow. And Tyler, I think one of the reasons I wanted to have you on as we start play after the break is really the start that you got off to is one reason the team is in the position they're in and in a position to make a postseason push. How do you look back at what you accomplished the first, I guess, quarter of the season, third of the season? Um, I mean, it's definitely – it was great to start off – well, obviously, I don't want to be in the situation I'm now hurt, but I mean, that's such as life, I suppose. It was great, though. I think especially being in Pittsburgh and not having so much success, especially early, it was a really big focus for me to, to lock in as far as mentality goes. And I think just making that mental switch uh, really helped me a lot. So, um, yeah, like I said, it was, it was really awesome to come out and, and pitch well for my team. Obviously, you're tremendously talented physically, and you had a lot of tools, and we saw that at the end of last year when you were successful, but it seemed like you took things to a different level. What was the biggest change? For Like I said, definitely mentality. I'd say like really focusing on the mental game, and not that I didn't before, but I really just wasn't really like introduced to it maybe. like There was a lot of mental game talk about baseball, but I think for me, finding a way that I could implement it the best way I could into my game. And I think as of last year... There were some times where I'd be really good, and then maybe a start later wouldn't be so good, and then really good, and then not so good. And I think I look back on it, and physically I was very consistent, and I did everything I needed to do. And I've had a pretty good understanding of how to get my body in an optimal position. And the only thing that was lacking was maybe the mindset of going into every start. So my biggest focus in the off season and during season was to just honestly dominate the the mental side of the game as far as control what I can control and um, there's things I've done off the field and on the field that have really helped me kind of hone that craft. Can you give fans an idea as to what some of those things are because most of us probably don't have a real true understanding of what mental side of the game is. So I think just like anything in life really you have the only thing that separates I guess like failure and success is the way you look at it in a way and I think for me especially when I was younger my biggest fear was was like fear of failure and going into the big leagues and not doing well and like embarrassing myself in front of a bunch of people in a stadium and on TV and it's just kind of like irrational fears that most people, most athletes, most baseball players have. And I think just looking at it in a different light of I think after 17 when I did fail, 
it was like, wow, that really isn't that bad. Like my worst nightmare just came true and it, it's, it's not so terrible. So um, like expanding on what I said before, as far as mentality, I think as a baseball player, you're not going to feel perfect every single start. You're not going to feel perfect every day. The season's long and your body gets worn down and your mind gets worn down. And I think just the day I pitch, I convince myself no matter what that I am the best pitcher player out there and I think it starts with the second I wake up it's really just a confidence and a mindset thing Um, and another thing that's really really helped me and will honestly helps probably a lot of baseball players and any athletes is just really trying to stay in the moment and the way that I have kind of worked on that is I've been a really big fan of meditation for a while and I think the last couple years I've really taken it really serious and um that's been a really big separator for me as far as just separating like the emotions you feel on the mound aren't necessarily true they're just that's what comes with competition is that something you do the day you pitch or every day you're working out that you do the you do meditation and how do you use it let's say on a game day i I do it every single day twice a day uh 40 minutes in the morning 40 minutes at night sometimes 30 30 sometimes if it's a night game i'll just do it one time for like an hour hour and a half um but it's, it's just separating the preparation and competition mindset. I think it's, it allows you to understand that your brain, especially as now, like it, it'll spit out every possible scenario when you're in like pitching. It's like, oh, this is bad or this is good, and there's a lot of emotional things that go on. And I think once you realize that emotions are, or just thoughts are, they don't really dictate the way you act. It's, they just, they come when you're competing. And I think just being able to separate like this thing I'm feeling isn't necessarily true and it's almost it's like a separation between your emotions and the way you think I guess if that makes any sense like just being able to go out there and stay consistent and just because my brain thinks something is sped up it's really just it helps you identify that all that anxiety isn't real so you got you in that direction but who helped you the most in getting you rolling in that direction uh probably my uncle I think that we think very similarly and it's benefited him and he was a good athlete in high school and I think it was just so one of those things that I knew, like I was, I've taken the physical game extremely seriously ever since I've been in pro ball, and it was to a certain point where I was like, there's not really much else I can do to, to be better physically. Like, of course, there is there's stuff that you can do to maintain, but like you get to a certain point where that's kind of like you're as good as you're going to get physically. And I think it was just identifying that like part of me, I think early on, especially when I was young, is my mental game wasn't very strong. So I think just finding ways for me that I knew were going to benefit me and just taking those very seriously. So as you battle your way back from injury, I would guess that one of the hardest things to deal with mentally is when you're not actually physically able to perform. So who's been most helpful during this stretch of the season? Uh, I don't know. I think that that definitely hits on the same side of like controlling what you can control. Like it definitely sucks that I'm hurt, but like I can't do anything about it right now. So it's easy to not stress, to be honest, about being hurt. I want to go out and I want to compete for my team. and But at this point in time like I'm doing everything I possibly can physically to get better and it's coming along really nicely so it's really just the mentality of taking it day to day and controlling what I can. Is it easiest to be around the team when they're home or is it or is it easier when the game is when they're on the road what's easier for you because everyone's different. I like when they're home just so I can be around and like kind of feel like a part of the team you know I don't really get to go on the road trips when you're hurt but it's great. I mean, I, I get to watch the games at home and stuff. But my preference would definitely be when they're here. But, I mean, regardless, you know, they're on the, the road half of the month and here half of the month. So it's just, it's honestly the same. The routine is basically the same, uh, coming at the same time. And then the only difference is just watching the game later. Charlie got to go to the All-Star game last week. He was the race pitcher to do so. What has he meant to you this year? Because you knew him when you were in Pittsburgh. Yeah, he's awesome. I mean, the second we signed him, I texted him and I was ecstatic. He's just a really phenomenal human being and a really good teammate. 
And I think the mentality that he brings to the field is really maybe different from like your traditional baseball mindset. I think he's always down to have a good time. He doesn't take himself too seriously. He doesn't have an ego at all. And I think in baseball sometimes, or any sports for that matter, I think it, you can, the pressure of the game can make you take yourself a lot more seriously than you need to. You know, and it's just a game. We're all out here just trying to have fun, and I think he embraces that really well. And it shows when he pitches. There's not too much stress. He's just out there doing what he does. And I think a lot of that comes with experience, and he's been doing it for such a long time. But I think I love just picking his brain and talking to him in the dugout, and he's just a really good guy to talk to. Tyler Glassman with us on this week in race baseball. How about Kyle? What is the influence that he's had on you? He's also, too, it's the same kind of thing as uh, Charlie. He's just like a phenomenal human being. And I think a lot of being a pitching coach or any coach for that matter is just being like a good therapist in a way. It's just like listening to people when they're at their most vulnerable states. In baseball, I've seen grown men tear up and just the stress is very real and I think it's hard for people to understand that um, and I think that Kyle playing knows how that feels and all of our coaches were, were players and they understand what the game can do and I think it's just being a good person just having someone to talk to and on top of that Kyle knows more about pitching than anyone I've ever talked to and it's it's definitely an obsession he has and that's a pretty I guess that's like a pretty common factor for any like elite athlete especially baseball like it's almost it's not even like you're in your it's not in your control you're just obsessed with it because you love it so much and he's nerds out on baseball so much and I've said it before that we'll be on the team flights and it's like three in the morning and he's doing advance reports on his computer like everyone's asleep and this guy's just nerding out on baseball so when you see the drive he has it just makes you like I mean it's just it's a really good mentality to have as good as you were during the stretch the first third of the year can you even get better from watching is that possible uh as far as when, like when I do come back getting better yeah. uh, I think I honestly I think it's like the, the path I was going was was consistent and good and I think I, I kind of found uh some of the stuff that I needed to, to work on and then some of the stuff that made me successful and I think the good thing about being hurt right now is like being able to really like optimize my low half and make it like 100% and pristine and that was something I worked on in the off season and I mean it's only like four months long and I feel like I really made some strides in the off season but I guess the silver lining and getting hurt is being able to like really strengthen some of the things that I I didn't feel were were that good and while you continue to get better not only you mentioned improving your lower half but I think it's important that you're doing a lot of things to kind of keep your mind yeah. fresh and sharp and I know on the 4th of July you got to be involved with that flight simulator can you tell us our audience what that was like and how you got involved yeah, it was great. Uh, Ryan Sheets just texted me, and I'm like the hurt guy. So he's like, I mean, do you want to you wanna do all the off-the-field stuff? Because everyone's playing and stuff. And I was like, yeah, sure. And he said they were doing like a flight simulator, something at McDill, and I've always wanted to check out McDill. And definitely for the, I mean, the men and women that risk their life every day just to go and meet them and, and kind of, like I said, like there's a mentality you need in baseball, and there's such a big mental side of it. And, I mean, if you think of, of the mental side, the military, and that is, is huge in that. So it's just cool to go and, and pick those guys' brains. And it's crazy to see just the similarities with, like, I mean, I'm not going to tell you that the military and baseball are the same, but as far as, like, the mental game, there are a lot of similarities, and there's a lot of things you can learn from those guys. How impressed were you with, uh, or how, how challenging was it to see that simulator? Yeah, it was crazy. They didn't turn, like, the hydraulics on and do, like, the whole nine yards, just because, I mean, I'm pretty sure that's a liability. But I got to actually go in and, like, fly the plane, and it was crazy. It's a lot harder than I thought it was. And then I got to do, like, the fighter jet refueling thing, too, and that was really difficult. So they were both really, really fun, though. What do you like to do in additionally off the field? Because I know you've done some traveling. I know I've seen, I think, your Instagram posts. You've had some pretty cool stuff about things yeah. you've done lately. Uh, yeah, I think I like to just, I mean, I don't know. I'd say, like, I'm not a huge video game guy. Most of my time off the field is, is consumed with, like, podcasts, books, or music. That's, like, what my I'm obsessed with. And we have such a close team that 
after games, a lot of times we'll have guys over to our house and I'm living with Duffy and we really just kind of have conversations and just hang out. And I think just the closer you can be with your team, the, the more you mesh on the field. So there's just a, kind of like a mixture of all four of those things. As he has fought his way through this, does it help to, ha- to be with him that you've got someone who can understand what you're going through in a different way? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Duffy's one of the better mental athletes I've probably, probably ever met and it's probably it's something that I, I like to talk to every athlete that I meet about you know and like what how, like how do you incorporate the mental game and I think just even basketball football golf like people I train with in the offseason it seems that baseball you you definitely need to have a greater sense of the mental game and Duffy is one of the the best I've been around so it's just cool to see someone like that with a grade one or whatever the hamstring strain was see how like I don't know he, he just he can roll with the punches better than anyone and he controls what he can and he works hard and some things don't go his way but he never mopes or cries about it you know he's always just ready to go out and get better you mentioned some of the things you like to do in conversation podcasts movies lately what's your podcast your movies of choice uh not so much movies but I, I listen to Joe Rogan a lot like it's your pretty generic like bro answer but like Tim Ferriss is really good too Malcolm Gladwell is a podcast I like his books too but most of the time it's mostly Joe Rogan podcast because he has like so many different people on from so many different like avenues of life so it's it's really cool the good part about this is this becomes a podcast on iTunes that you can like and subscribe to as well nice I'll get on that let's do it <laughs> Well, most of all, we appreciate some time, and we look forward to seeing you back on the field and doing what you do so well, and we appreciate some time on This Week in Race Baseball. Awesome. Thanks for having me, man. That's Tyler Glass now joining us, and we'll continue in just a moment. You're listening to the Rays Baseball Network. Welcome back to This Week in Rays Baseball. Neil Solon's with you. Time now to take a look at the past week and uh, with the only guy who didn't have any off time really during the All-Star break, and that is Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times, who joins us now from Baltimore. Topper, thanks for a few minutes. Anytime, Neil. You know it's the highlight of the week. All right. Other than the All-Star game, uh, I would hope. Uh, so for you, what was the best part of the experience because you've covered these so frequently? You mean besides coming back and seeing you? Yes, okay. yes, okay. Okay. exactly. Okay. I just wanted to make sure that was clear that that was on the list. I mean, it's always cool to see uh, the guys that are there for the first time, and sometimes it feels like you're writing a similar story that you did in the past, but it never gets old. I mean, with Blake Snell last year, with Brandon Lau and Austin Meadows this year, and you're just hearing Austin Meadows say for three days how the biggest thing he wants to do is get a chance to meet or talk to hang out with Mike Trout, and then he gets to play alongside him in the outfield, and he has this little anecdote after the game about, you know, they were out there during Bieber's inning, which turned out to be like, you know, the MVP inning, the crowd was rearing, you know, and, and Meadows like, yeah, I'm looking over at Mike Trout, and we're going like, hey, wow, and I'm like, you're looking over at Mike Trout and going, hey, wow, I mean, so that was kind of cool, and mm-hmm. just to see these guys and, and what it means to them, and you know, the reality is, yeah, they're uh, playing this game, and that's their job. But when they're at an all-star game, and, and it'll probably be like this if they get to the postseason, you see them become little kids again, too. And, and obviously you did a great job portraying that all week long with your coverage of the all-star game and the Futures game, which I, I know you got a chance to, to to meet and speak with Wander Franco a little bit more. Who knows how far away he is? We know it's not this year, but he wants it to be next year, right? He does. He does, Neil. He really wants to get up there and be on your show during the pregame. Yeah. He, um, <laughs> he he wants to be in the big leagues by the end of next year. I mean, I think part of that is, you know, he has it in his head, the novelty and the coolness of being there as a teenager because he'll turn all of that old age of 20 on March 1st of 2021. So he wants to get there as a teenager. And, you know, he's he's moved quickly, but he has a lot of movement still to do, a lot of progressing to do. And you know, maturity is going to be an issue and how he handles himself. And, you know, I think the Rays have been 
very candid in saying, you know, with an 18-year-old, there's a lot of things that you have to, you know, keep track of, especially a guy who's getting as much success and attention as he is. But to this point, I think he's been great for them on the field. He's been great for them off the field. They're obviously very excited. And, you know, we were talking the other day on one of these pre-production meetings, you know, who's the most, like, untradeable player in baseball? Wander Franco's got to be pretty high on that list because I can't imagine – you know, there's anything the Rays would give up, like, would take, you know, it would take to give up to get somebody like that. I think he's a guy that he's got such a huge, bright future in front of him. It would really be interesting to see how this unfolds. And, you know, I know you're, you know Ronaldo Hernandez was there as well, and a catcher who can be a big part of this for the Rays also. Yes, and that's still in the future. But, the, you know, I think you kind of dovetail with talking about trades and what you touched on today in the Tampa Bay Times and the possibility <laughs> of trades. The Rays made a small one yesterday. Um, but I would think that there's probably going to be a lot more action over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, if this ends up being the only deal the Rays make between now and July 31st, I think there'll be a lot of pressure on Peter Fairbanks because, you know, there's been so much talk about, you know, where the avenues that they can pursue to improve, whether that's to try to find some experienced bullpen guys, whether it's to add a right-handed bat, whether it's to go get another starting pitcher, although I'd say the success Yanni Chirinos and Brendan McKay have had, you know, may may eliminate that or make that a little lower priority. And, you know, then again, the Rays have been known to surprise us. And I did kind of outline that in today's Tampa Bay Times. And one of the points I made, or a couple of them were, you know, you're going to hear them associated with everybody, so don't get too excited. Most of the people you hear them associated with are not the guys they're going to get. And if there is, you know, kind of the marquee guy at a certain position, they're usually not going to win the bidding. And I thought that was a, a fair assessment. The one question I ask, and I think it's apparent in this series too, is – do we focus too much on the bullpen for a team that's leading all of baseball in terms of the fewest runs scored and not focusing enough on a team that's 18th in runs scored and 24th in hitting with uh, runners in scoring position? Well, I'm, I think that's a fair observation to make, and I think there's some people, maybe even in uniform, who uh, would concur with that opinion and, and think that there's been too much criticism and too much attention paid to the bullpen and the lapses that they've had. But it's also, in theory, it's easier to fix the bullpen. You go out, mm-hmm. you get a guy or two who've been there and done it, who have some experience, who have a track record. You pop them in there, and the idea is that they're better than the guys that you have. Whereas, you know, how do you fix the offense? I mean, you can try to go find that one hitter, but where is he going to play? You've got a team that, you know, the versatility and the depth that they've assembled is a big part of this. And, you know, if you go around the field, I'm not saying the Rays have, you know, all-stars at every position, but, you know, where would you upgrade unless it was, you know, a significant upgrade? I mean, if you're going to, you know, go get an all-star caliber player, that's one thing, you know, just hypothetically. If you're going to go get Francisco Lindor, okay, you take Willie Adamas out of the lineup. That's pretty obvious. But, you know, if you go around and look, you know, where would that be? Maybe you would have said at first base, but over these last three or four days, you know, maybe Nate Lowe's changing your thought on that process as well. Well, since you brought that up, I mean, how do you see things going in that regard? Because Matt Duffy's pretty close to returning. Um, how do the Rays kind of figure this out? Because if you want to, I mean, is is Nate Lowe moving himself up the ladder, or do they take a lot of stock in homers against a Baltimore team that gives up the most in baseball? Well, and, and in a ballpark where it's easy for the ball to fly, too, if you want to be totally, you know, frank and, and kind of cold-hearted about it, you know, it's probably easier to hit homers here, especially in the summer, than a lot of other ballparks. But... I do think he's moving his way up, and, and, you know, in their estimation, and Kevin Cash alluded to it, they're going to probably have some tough decisions. And, you know, does that mean it comes down? You know, when, when Brandon Lau comes back, just in case Joe Buck's listening, um, <laughs> when Brandon Lau comes back, you know, does that make Nate Lowe versus G-Man Choi the decision? You know, you, do you have to look at it that way? Do they find another way? I mean, uh, obviously Duffy could come back. Brasso could be the guy to go down there, it would seem like. Uh, but he's also gives you some versatility. You know, the Duffy really, for the most part, has been 
third base and probably will be just to limit the movement and not try to agitate anything. So there's going to be a lot of tough decisions, but I think on the other hand, getting Matt Duffy, a healthy, productive Matt Duffy, is almost like picking up a bat at the trade deadline at this point and you know, a little bit of a different approach, more of a grinded-out approach, more of a contact-oriented approach, and could add something to this lineup that it could probably need. And more than that, I mean, a lot's going to depend on wins and losses, isn't it, Mark? I mean, you got to win a game like today against the Tom Eshelman and against New York. I think you probably need at least a split. Yeah, I mean, you know, this series in New York, and I'm going to probably write about this a little bit in tomorrow's Tampa Bay Times, is, is interesting in two levels. One, because they don't play the Yankees again until the last week of the season, and if they want to make up ground, they're six back as we sit here right now. This is the last chance for really any head-to-head progress with four games and four nights up there. But also where it leaves the Rays in the standings going into this trade deadline. And I think, you know, if you're within a handful or let's even say five, just use five as an arbitrary cutoff. If you're within five games of the division lead, I think you're probably more aggressive if you're the Rays and trying to make moves to close that gap where you think you can win the division. Whereas if you're, you know, eight out, nine out, you probably say, well, you know, you never say never, but realistically you're looking at the wild card. That's the one game, the coin flip game, a lot of people call it. Do you really, you know, give away some prospects or take on a bunch of money just to maybe increase your chances for that. I, I don't know. Maybe you still do. Maybe you'll view it as every postseason opportunity is precious. you got to get in it to win it kind of mentality. But I think if you're closing in on the division lead, you're more aggressive in what you do. Mark, great stuff. We appreciate a few minutes, and uh, we'll be reading on TampaBay.com. And, I, and I'll be listening to everything you say, Neil. I'm so glad it's all available online. All right. That is Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times. Let's pause for station identification on the Rays Baseball Network. WTAE St. Petersburg, WBTP HD3 Clearwater, W224BE Brandon, and W237CW Pinellas Park. The Rays entered this Sunday with a record of 54 and 46 back of the Yankees in the East, and I sat down with Rays Senior VP and GM Eric Neander this week and asked him his impression of the season to this point. I think in total, a reasonable expectation is probably right around where our winning percentage sits today. Uh, if you focus on the trajectory, if you place an added weight on the last few weeks, then I think those feelings are a little different than what we expected coming in. But I think when you just step back, take a few days to to gather your thoughts, to step away and to look at it in total over this stretch, I think if you, if you take that view, uh, our level of competitiveness over the first half is more or less where we expected it to be. Where did this team perform better than you would have thought? Where did this team not perform as well as you might have anticipated? I think our run prevention, you know, allowing the fewest runs in Major League Baseball in the first half, we are confident that's going to be our carrier and what uh, gives us the best chance to play postseason baseball. But any time, I don't think you can ever go into a season reasonably expecting to lead Major League Baseball in run prevention. You could think you're good, you know, but to... To actually be in a position to lead it is certainly something that I think exceeded what was a high expectation. We've, we've got some guys that are out due to injury now and some guys we need to step up and step in in order to maintain that moving forward. But I think that's something that certainly exceeded uh, our expectations so far. That said, from a lineup standpoint, how much of maybe some of the issues that the team had was due to playing 47 games in 48 days? And how do you make sure not to overreact come the deadline? Yeah, that's a tough stretch with some challenging travel and not to make any excuses, but that from from some of the teams we were playing uh, towards the tail end of that 
of that stretch and just the wear and tear that that can place on a body as you're experiencing it, along with some of the injuries we've had and things along those lines. Yeah, that that is very difficult. I think all of us, um, myself included, and I think our front office included, were we welcomed the all-star break probably as much as we have in, in any recent year just to catch our breath, just to try to rest up a little bit, freshen up, and come out the other side stronger and uh, look forward to seeing how we play here. You say freshen up, uh, but this team still had has had, I think, 20 or close to 20 individual players on the injured list at the major league level, different players. Do you feel you're going to get healthy at some point this year? Would like to. It, it would make things easier. We've had some guys that have filled in and stepped up when uh, when given the opportunity. You know, Mike Brasso being a very recent example. It's done a, a wonderful job for us in his limited opportunities so far. But you'd, you'd like to. But I think uh, 162 games and certainly over a stretch that we just experienced without any days off. You, it's injuries, missed time. That's all part of it. You know, that's. Those are things that are going to happen. You have to be prepared for them. And uh, I think we like our depth, and uh, we'll continue to need to have guys step up for us. But it sure would be nice saying all that to, to get healthy here at some point and experience what that looks like. The fan base obviously looks at the bullpen. And while you've had some young guys step in and do very well, you're still missing two of your more experienced arms in Jose Alvarado and now Chaz Rowe. Is there much of a, a focus on the bullpen now because of that? Yeah, I think – Across the board, we have a really good team. If there are opportunities to make that better, we want to uh, take advantage of them. But that that being said, I, I think we, we look at our bullpen, and while they're not household names, while the their track records uh, at the major league level are not particularly lengthy, these are guys that we, we do believe are capable of um, pitching meaningful innings out of the pen and, and holding leads. You look at what Pochet's done uh, since coming up. He's done a really nice job for us. Pagan. You know, some of the names have shifted around. Uh, Andrew Kittridge, just uh, the velos up, the stuff's up. Uh, looks really encouraging. I, I think um, there, there's not a lot of fame out of that group, but I think there is a lot of function. And we're going to be watching them really closely over the next few weeks to see, you know, to kind of finalize our assessments of them and, and see if there's something out there that can help us uh, improve it. The deadline's different this year. There's no August trades. There's just July. How does that change what you can and can't do and how hard is it since it seems there's only just over a half dozen teams that are technically out of the playoff picture? Yeah, it's it's, it's a great question. I, I don't think in any given year since I've been here, you know, going all the way back to 2008, I don't think we've we've tried to take care of our business and, and consider potential acquisitions um, with the end of July being the end of those opportunities. There's always things that can come up in August, um, but that's not necessarily something I think that we've ever planned for um, or that's been part of our, our strategy. So I think behaviorally, I don't think uh, it will change too much about how we address this month. It does require you, if you're looking to build uh, additional depth, you know, August not, no longer being an option, it does require you to, to think about some things getting into the end of July um, that are totally off the table. But I think by and large, our behavior and how we approach this month will be will be similar to other months when we've been competitive. And the one other thing is you guys have a very tight 40-man, and there are a lot of guys you have to add in the offseason. Last year, you made the Tommy Pham trade, which helped create some space while also providing another team an opportunity for certain guys that they might not have gotten with you. How much of that goes into your thinking as you look at the deadline? It, it, it's something that we will need to... We are and will need to be mindful of managing our 40 man as as we proceed here. And you know, our focus is certainly on doing what we can to 
help our 2019 team be as successful as possible. But it's also within our job description to make sure that we're managing our 40-man roster, not just for this year, but for future seasons as uh, effectively as possible as well. So that's something that, like I said, as much as we're focused on our 2019 team and making them as competitive as possible, we have to be very mindful of uh, our, our long-term talent inventory and how we balance that. So that's something that's going to be in play for us. And uh, like I said, always is pretty close to the front of our mind. And if you guys end up in the postseason in October, what has happened correctly the last 70-some-odd games? We've played well. We've had good enough health. Uh, we've The ball's bounced our way a few times, and uh, maybe a few other teams in our division haven't played up to their full capabilities. But I don't think we necessarily need all those things. I think our team, as it's built and, and with the depth we have, is really well positioned to um, – to enter the postseason, you know, and to be one of those clubs, but uh, certainly wouldn't mind a few other things going our way as well to to make it all the more likely. And that's race senior VP and GM Eric Neander coming up on this weekend race baseball. Rob Metzler, two AAA All Stars, and much more. This is the Race Baseball Network. Well, we continue on this week in race baseball, and time to take a look at things on the uh, minor league side. The signing day for the recent draft has come and gone, and the Rays ended up signing 33 of their 42 players that they chose, uh, along with their uh, top 21 selections this year. And uh, the head of amateur scouting is Rob Metzler, who now joins us. Rob, congratulations, and uh, I'm sure it feels good to kind of get beyond this step. Thanks, Neil. Yeah, it's uh, it's always the draft night one night to get through and then three days of the draft and then then the next kind of big mark for us is getting through the signing deadline and and we were we were happy to to get a good percentage of of our draftees into the fold and and excited about getting them out and playing and competing on their way you know i I look on most boards and there were very few signings in let's say the top 10 rounds that came right down to the end are teams getting better at this at determining who really wants to start their pro career, and because of the way the pools are set up, is it that much easier to get your top pick signed? That's a hard question for me to answer. I, I would say it depends, which is not a very productive answer, but it just depends on the year. There's been years that that uh, you know things flowed very freely with with, uh, with families and representatives throughout the throughout day one and day two of the draft, where things and signings came together pretty easily, and then there've been other years where. It's been harder to, to come to agreements, and, and that leads to uh, more and more work leading up to the deadline. I think my guess is that it's a year-by-year basis, but you know I can't speak for all 30 clubs. How about from a race perspective? Was this year any easier than previous in terms of getting uh, a lot of your top picks signed because you were able to get top 10 rounds all done and, and all the way through round 19? Easy might not be the right word. I was, the word that I would use was relatively smooth. You know, we, we didn't hit, you know, there, there weren't, many you know some some just by nature of trying to add the most talented prospects in a draft class sometimes things aren't going to be as smooth and sometimes you know you might not see it eye to eye with with a, a family and a representative but you, you know in this in this year it was relatively smooth and it makes everybody's life a little bit easier when it comes down to the last couple of days is it really about how much are you at that point kind of looking at guys that are in summer leagues that you've drafted to kind of determine who might be the best overall fit? What comes down to the last couple of days, and who are your – you want to touch on your late signs, so to speak? Yeah, ha- happy to touch on. You know, our, our, you know, we, we added – just leading up to the deadline, we added Ben Peoples, uh, right-handed starting pitcher from Tennessee, who, who uh, we were thrilled, you know, high school, high school arm, a live arm, with, you know, really good life on a lively fastball. You know, in his case, we we were able to scout him. Stephen Ames, our, our area man up there, 
and Ryan Henderson, our pitching specialist, they, they did a really good job scouting him throughout summer ball, and we were able to gain a lot more comfort with, with him throughout you know scouting him this summer, and that, that enabled us to make what we think is a good investment and in, in, an excellent young starting pitching prospect. So for him, it, it was about you know the time between you know June fifth when he was drafted and July. I guess his signing was July 11th. So, you know, in that time, we learned more about him, and we, we felt like it was a really good addition. We also added, you know, right prior to the deadline, we also added Addison Moss, a right-handed pitcher uh, from Rice. who He took a red shirt this year, but that was more about us. You know, our area scout, Pat Murphy, having really good communication with, with Addison about the opportunity to, you know, to get healthy and move on with his career with us, you know, as opposed to, you know other options that he had, and and I think the communication that they had really brought brought that you know brought both of our visions into alignment for for what was best for his future. When you get down to those final days, is it kind of you, you mentioned? Let's say in people's case, you're watching them in summer ball. Are you watching a handful of players that you haven't signed and kind of figuring, okay, who's the best option for us based on where we stand pool wise and where we think this player is going to be? Yeah, in, in some cases it's it's scouting scouting the prospects some more. In other cases, it's just further communication. What the you know, and gaining as much clarity as possible about what the players' goals professionally and financially are. So you know, but we had a handful of prospects for day three that we were we were looking at, and we were really really happy that you know our, our biggest day three investment was in, in Ben Peoples, and we're really really happy that that came together based on the work of. You know, based on the progress that Ben made throughout the spring and the summer, and based on the work our staff did to to put us in that position. Well, we know you got a lot of work ahead of you for 2020. Uh, we appreciate some time and wish you best of luck on on the road this summer. Thanks, Neil. Really appreciate it. And that's Rays head of amateur scouting, Rob Metzler. Congrats to the Rays signing their first 21 picks and 33 overall. And let's stay on the minor league side and look at current Rays. And this week, three Rays were part of the AAA All-Star game. One of them now joins us in Jake Cronenworth. Jake, thanks very much for being with us. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Neil. Tell me what this one meant, because I know you have gone to All-Star games before, yes? Yeah, uh, I went to Hudson Valley, um, Bowling Green, and, you know, it's always an honor to get selected and uh, it's always a fun time playing with other players throughout the league and have some family come to the game, which is always fun. For you, is this, though, the best season that you've had as a as a professional? And if so, why? Yeah, you know, you know there's always things that you take out of every season that uh, are always good and you got bad as well. But um, all together, I think, you know, I started putting some things together at the plate and in the field, and now I'm pitching, which is exciting. So, you know, I, w- I would say all around, yeah, this is this has been the most fun I've ever had playing baseball. And obviously you, you went to the All-Star game based on your offensive output and your play in the field, and, and I want to focus on that. What's been the biggest change? What's been the biggest difference that's not allowed, not only allowed you to be good, but as consistently good as you've been? I think I hit, I think I hit on it uh, last time we had talked. A lot of it is approach-based stuff and just committing to a plan when I get up to the plate and not uh, – you know, not changing my mind while I'm up there. You know, once I get up there, I, I have a specific plan I want to attack and, and just go with that. You've hit a career high in home runs, and I asked this to Mike Brasso uh, a bit before he had been called up. Is it hard not to get wrapped up in trying to hit the ball in the air with the way the balls have carried, the fact that you guys are using Major League balls this year? Um, yeah, you know, there's uh, it, it's obviously in the back of your mind now that we're using them. But, you know, you just try to do the same thing you've always done and, you know, I think some swings that guys were hitting balls off the wall or hitting doubles in the gap are, 
are now turning into homers, which is nice. And obviously, you've gotten more extra base hits than you have at any point. How much has you know playing? In, how much has this done for your overall confidence uh, as you continue to grow as a professional? Uh, yeah, you know, you know, like I said, you always take some things out of every year uh, that help you build on the next year, and uh, confidence is definitely one of them you can carry throughout year to year. And I think you know this year it's been a huge confidence booster for myself support throughout my family and people uh, watching back home. Uh, it's always good to have that, and uh, hopefully I can continue to stay confident throughout the rest of the year. You mentioned pitching, too. Um, you're doing it, what, about once a week? Is that fair? And and I saw the last time you did it, you did it uh, not as an opener, but in the middle of the game, which was different, right? Yeah, it was uh, similar to what I did in college majority of the time. So it was it was definitely different, and I I forgot how tiring it was, but it was a great learning experience and trying to figure out what I have to do to be ready for pitching and hitting at the same time because my at-bats still count, my innings on the mound still count, the errors in the field still count. So doing everything I can do to make sure that I'm ready for both sides of the ball is, uh, I think, things that I need to take forward. How much of that will you be doing, that is, doing both in a game? Is that going to be regular each time you pitch? It will be when you're also in the field, or is it going to be the other way around where you, you'll you pitch on a day where you're not hitting or, or hit on a day where you're not pitching? You know, we're kind of taking it week by week. Uh, like you said, I'm only throwing about once a week now. Um, I think the days are going to start getting a little shorter together. So, you know, I, I think uh, last time I threw in Toledo, I had up and down through an inning and a third, which was the first time I had done that. And um, I think we're going to start mixing it up more. Coming in, you know, in the seventh or eighth inning, whether we're up six by six runs or down by six runs or, you know, it might be a close game. But, um, you know, I think anything we can do to get innings on the mound without taking away at-bats and time in the field is, is what we're trying to accomplish. And how's your body feeling? Uh, it's good. You know, we had some uh, bumps in the road early on, uh, just experimenting with, with what we were doing and, I, obviously, I hadn't done it in four years, and the coaches had never managed it. Uh, so there were definitely some bumps in the road. I, I, I got pretty tired at one point. But, you know, now I think it's, uh, we found a good routine, and uh, we can build off what we've been doing and continue to do that throughout the rest of the I'm kind of curious because, obviously, this is new for you as a professional to do this, and we know what kind of success that Brendan has had, mostly pitching and hitting some. When he was here, did you guys converse much about it? And if not, were there any individuals that you went to who have done any of this before? Uh, yeah, it was definitely great to have Brendan here talking with him. Obviously, his, his routine is almost completely different than mine, where you know he's not hitting on the days that he pitches, and uh, he doesn't hit every day in the game. And you know he, he specifically knows when he's going to pitch the next time, and he's a starter. Um, but just in terms of like throwing in between outings, you know, He's about six days, and I'm about six days or five days, depending on when I go. So talking to him about that was uh, helped a lot. And in terms of your routine, is it still predominantly with the position players, though, other than what a day you may throw a bullpen? Yeah, so I've always said that um, I'm a position player first and a pitcher second. So I'll throw with the pitchers uh, majority of the days, just depending on what our schedule looks like, whether we're on the road or at home. And... Um, you know, that was, that's the difference between 
uh, when Brennan was here and I was here, um, I was sitting every day and taking ground balls and I got to track my throws on the infield and um, everything like that. So it, it gets, it gets a bit hectic at some points, but uh, it's always a good challenge. Well, it sounds like you're doing a great job of uh, maintaining and, and handling things in what is a new experience, but I think more so thrilled that you got to go to a, another All-Star game, uh, and hopefully the next time we talk it's about your first big league call-up. I appreciate that, No, Thank you so much. That's Jay Cronenworth of the Durham Bulls. Keen Wong joined him in the AAA All-Star game in El Paso, Texas, and now joins us. Keen, congrats on a tremendous first half. No, no, thank you. Thank you for having me. I know you had a, a good season where a AAA All-Star uh, last year, but this year, at least on paper, seems to be a little bit better. I- is that fair to say that? Oh uh, yeah, it's fair. You know, just going out there the same game plan as last year, and you know, it's working out. Where do you think you have improved and grown from a year ago? Um, because your numbers overall are better. Yeah, I'm um, just going up to the plate with confidence and uh, having an approach. You know, pitches over here are better than a locate. They're going to get you out with your with their best pitch. So try not to chase their best pitch and try and hit your pitch. That's what helped me a lot this year. And um, just, yeah, like I said, just going up to the late conference, I think that's a major key. You know, I've talked with Mike Brasso about it. I've talked with um, Jake Cronenworth about it. Um, how much of has uh, the AAA baseball uh, or the Major League Baseball being used in AAA, has it helped? Um, and has it also helped, you talk about confidence, has it helped the hitter from a confidence standpoint? Uh, yeah, you know, um, baseball's uh, obviously minor league baseball and big league baseball is different. Um, you know, it helps the pitcher just because, they, you know, a lot of pitchers go up and down, lose the same ball, same, so they get used to it. And, you know, for us as hitters, we all know the ball flies a little further. So, you know, just got to put the barrel on the ball and, you know, and let, the, let the bat do its job. And, you know, it's been working this year. Some of your power numbers are up. How much is that? How much of it is it you're just growing into your body physically? Just me growing into my body physically. You know, um, this offseason I worked really hard try and boost my power numbers and you know it's it's showing and you know i'm happy about it and like i said just put the brow on the ball and just let everything else fall into its place you um you started playing more positions last year i know you've continued to do that this year how do you think we've talked about your offensive game a little bit but how about on the other side of the baseball how do you think you've improved uh you know i, I feel like i improved a lot you know I, i'm playing different more positions this year last year and you know i'm before every game, I go out and I work on it. And, you know, I, I feel like I got better in every aspect of my defense. And, you know, I'm in AAA. I'm just going to keep on being down here and, you know, keep on working to become better at it. Your initial position was second. You've played, what, third, left, and center so far this year? Third, left, center, right field, and shortstop. So you've played everywhere but first base now. How many? Yeah. How many different gloves do you have? Uh, I have three. I have one outfield, one third base, and one shortstop second base. Is there a position beyond second that you've enjoyed more or that you think you've grown more um, from a defensive standpoint? Uh, I think outfield. You know, I went a long way. I'm working with uh, Q down in AAA. You know, he helped me a lot down here at Oskidia Barnes. Um, but, yeah, you know, I'm comfortable playing everywhere now since I've been playing there a lot. So, yeah, I feel like I've grown in every uh, every position. How has Brady been? This is your first year with Brady Williams um, from yeah. a, a AAA since Jared Sandberg moved on to Seattle. How has that been for you, and, and has it helped also just to get a fresh set of eyes on you? Yeah, you know, it's been awesome. You know, I had Brady in AA. Uh, you know, he's a great manager. He you know, has a lot of feel for 
the players, and you know, he just let us let us go out there and play. Um, you know, Jared was awesome last year, and you know, I've, I've, I just feel like he's coming to the field with a hundred ten percent to try and win. You know, I feel like every manager is going to love that. So you know, maybe Brady's been awesome this year, and you know, we're to try and bring a championship for him as well. I, I know you've played on obviously some very good teams all through the minors and won a lot of championships. How what what did what do you think of this year's group and the chemistry that you guys have? Um, this year's group is awesome as well. You know, we have a chemistry like brotherhood down here, and you know, a lot of people get caught up and down, but um, you know, at the end of the day, we're we're like brothers, we're like family down here, and you know, we're going to try and win as much games as possible and bring a championship back to them. Ken, I think, um, you know, as I look at your season last year, and it would be understandable, um, the, the, you know, the second half of the year, you, let's say things uh, dropped off a little bit. Did you get fatigued, and how much is the extra strength you think going to help you in the last couple months of the year? Um, yeah, you know, I feel like this year I came better prepared as last year. And, you know, I feel, I feel physically and mentally ready to take on the second half after the All-Star break. So, yeah, no, I feel good. Well, I hope uh, the good stuff continues for you. Um, obviously, you've put up tremendous numbers this year, and uh, hopefully that big league call-up is around the corner for you. Yeah, I appreciate it. And that is Kian Wong. Congrats to him on his season to date. Now, last week on the program, we spoke with Carlos Rodriguez of the Rays about International Signing Day. One of the things we touched on was the Rays signing 17 players the first week, but it's also important to remember they signed players throughout the year, including a pitcher named Sandy Gaston late in last season's class. That's exactly right. I mean, a lot of the, because of the July 2nd date, and it, it, don't get me wrong, it's a really important date for us, for our, our staff, for our scouts, for our coaches, everybody, um, and especially for the kids that it indicates like kind of the, the beginning of their careers. But it's certainly, it's just that, it's a starting point. It's a starting point for their careers, and and for us, it's a starting point for uh, for the, the class to, to lay down a really strong foundation for the rest of the year. There's uh, an expectation um, from all of us, myself included, to go out there and uh, to compete on a daily basis and to go out and find, you know, another group of, of talented players um, that in some cases will end up being better than a lot of the players that sign on July 2nd, you know, that are uh, more highly coveted. And then you mentioned Sandy Gaston. I mean, the last, you know, basically like the last day of the signing period, June 14th or 15th, we signed Patrick Mourinho, a, a, you know, a Cuban, a Cuban outfielder that's a really, really talented player. Didn't, you know, doesn't get a lot of uh, fanfare, but like you know, guys like him that we're really excited about as well. But yeah, it's a it's a year long um, it's a year long season for us in a, in a long process. But th- these are the the types of of players that make this market so, so enjoyable as we get to go out and compete on a daily basis. Do you get do players who've been through your system help you in essence recruit? Other players are just having a positive experience. Does that help you guys in any shape or form? Because in essence, you are recruiting players to sign with you. Yeah, in a in a weird way, it can indirectly and sometimes directly impact because essentially uh, agents and trainers like they want to they want to be successful too. They want to sign players that that end up making it to the majors, and so all things equal, if there's an existing relationship or if there's other players that they feel are going to be in better hands, then it does give us some type of advantage when it comes to uh, signing players. In some cases, there's players that really uh, rave about you know, certain things, certain aspects within the organization. And I'm sure that 
you know, could exist in other, you know, areas as well. And it's just one of those things that we really do take a lot of pride in. But essentially, you know, it comes down to, you know, to the, is it a fit, you know, financially and like with the, the evaluations and, you know, match the, you know, the, the market. And so it's a, it's a balancing act, but it does come into play at times. And the system now is very different than it was two years ago, but we still continue to hear about an international draft. Do you guys have to prepare for that in the potential of the future? And do you see it happening at some point? Yeah, that's a really good question. Uh, we we do need to um, prepare for that because while it it's not necessarily inevitable, it seems like some change will occur. I think the most likely outcome uh, may be a draft, and these are things that we've we've taken a look at this even bef- you know before the the previous CBA expired to really try to put ourselves in, in position to if the system did change to be successful in that format and also to have the flexibility depending on what the system may end up being. In this market, um, we've actually, it's changed significantly from 2012 where everybody had the same amount of money and then it became kind of uh, inverse to, to record and then now it's like more flat with like, you know, increments depending on on uh, revenue. And so the systems actually changed a lot over time. And so I think we are well equipped to handle those changes. Uh, and, and these are things that I think among the, the 30 teams will, will probably uh, front and center discussing in the next uh, few months. Well, uh, congrats on what you've done so far in this period and good luck the rest of the way. Thanks very much, Neil. Thanks for your time. And that is Carlos Rodriguez, who heads up international scouting for the Rays. The Rays, to this point, has signed nearly 20 players in the current class, and we certainly appreciate Carlos being on our latest This Week in Rays baseball program. Hey, while Rays pitchers are dealing out K's against the White Sox, kids receive a better hand. Next Sunday, fans 14 and under receive a deck of playing cards courtesy of Tech Data while supplies last. And for tickets, you can go to RaysBaseball.com. And raise up. Neil Solon's with you on This Week in Race Baseball. We thank Carlos Rodriguez for being with us and also all the guests we had on the show today, including Tyler Glasnow. He will get his form re-examined tomorrow, so hopefully that goes well and he gets back on a throwing program for the Rays. Thanks to Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times for joining us from Baltimore. You can check out his work, of course, at TB Times underscore Rays on Twitter and also at TBT at TampaBayTimes.com. Thanks to Eric Neander, Rays Senior VP and GM, for being with us, as well as the head of... Uh, Amateur scouting, that being Rob Metzler, the draft period for signing your picks ended on Friday. And thanks also to AAA All-Stars, Jake Cronenworth and Keen Wong for being with us. They have certainly had sensational seasons so far in Durham. If you ever have something you want to hear on the program, all you have to do is tweet me at Neil Solons. Next week, we'll take a closer look at the Rays bullpen, obviously monitor the trade market too, and have a whole lot more. Uh, thanks to my producer today, Derek Dubose. It's the Rays and Orioles coming up as the Rays look to win their first series after the break. You are listening to the Rays Baseball Network.